What's up, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can help this show to grow while also getting access to our exclusive Pride content, which includes shows like Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, Special Interviews, Lions of Liberty Roundtables, and much, much more. So check that out. Help us grow at lionsofliberty.com forward slash support. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Yeah, yeah. What is up, guys? Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 69. No joke needed there. So anyway, you can find all the show notes for today's episode at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL69 as per usual. Now I'm going to be bringing in a friend of the podcast and a guest I really love, Ford Fisher from News to Share in just a minute. But before I do, there was one piece of news. Now granted, there's a lot of piece of news. There's a lot of news. But uh, one piece I wanted to talk about on this show while uh, while I gotcha and before I bring in Ford, and that is... Rand Paul now flip-flopping and backing Mike Pompeo for Secretary of State. Ah, Rand. Here's the thing, right? I want to give this a giant minus. Because Mike Pompeo is just one of the most despicable people that has been in the deep state. I mean, he is the deep state. He is a warmonger. He is a war hawk. He is a man that unabashedly supports the Iraq war, or at least did. I'm going to get around to that. He unabashedly supports foreign intervention. He unabashedly supports regime regime change. He's a fan of everything that the CIA does. He's a fan of all of their practices, all their underhand, underhanded shady dealings. So Rand Paul very justly stood up and said, no, I will not support this man's nomination for secretary of state. One of the most powerful positions that we have in this government, as seen from Hillary Clinton and all of the horrible, horrible backlash that came from her actions in Benghazi, in Libya, all these things. The death of Assad, not to say that's 100 percent on her, but as she said, we came, we saw, he died. And he was, of course, sodomized to death with a knife, talking about Gaddafi. And now we have a Libya wherein there is constant strife, there's constant terrorism, and there's people being sold as slaves. Yes, literal slaves in 2018 as a direct result of U.S. action in that country. So the Secretary of State position is something that can't be undersold as far as its importance or its ability to wreak havoc on a global stage. So when Rand Paul opposed Mike Pompeo, Monk Pompeo, Mike Pompeo, that was something we could all applaud. The Rand of old standing up. Maybe he'd even filibuster it. Who knows? But the most recent news has come out is that Trump said very candidly, well, I believe that Rand will come around to my point of view. I believe in him. You know, Randy, old Randy Pants, hashtag Randy Pants won't let me down. And Rand Paul and Donald Trump have become fairly close. And I consider that a good thing because I do respect Rand Paul. He's still, despite his warts, the best senator that we possibly could, well, could not possibly could have, but the best senator we have currently, let's say. And for the most part, I believe that he has mostly libertarian values at heart and is trying to do the right thing from that perspective. So him, him having Trump's ear, him going golfing with Trump, they're, they're basically considered friends. They talk several times a week. That's a good thing. 
he can talk some sense into Trump. He can try to bring him away from some of the edge positions that he's taking. But for Trump to have this confidence in Rand changing his tune on Mike Pompeo worries me. And the news came out that they spoke several times and Rand Paul spoke several times to Mike Pompeo personally. And now Rand has changed his tune and he will now support the nomination. This, according to news reports, according to Rand Paul himself, is because Mike Pompeo assured him not that he won't go and have some regime change, not that he won't change his tune on overall policy in America, but from what I've read, all of this tune changing is due to Mike Pompeo saying that he will publicly state that the Iraq war was a mistake. Now, that's nice. That's a sweet thing to hear. I mean, retroactively, we can say a lot of things were a mistake, but the damage is done. And if you don't learn anything from that mistake, then what is the point? I mean, this is like, it reminds me of that Monty Python clip. You know, every time we hear this, you know, Rand's got this, this great confidence. You know, I'm confessing my sins that the Iraq war was a mistake. That's great, Mike. But you're going to tell us again and again and again that, American action overseas is needed, that we need to interfere again in the Middle East, that we have to keep troops there? Are you going to tell us that we have to support Saudi Arabia and all of their atrocities? We have to be complicit in the war that's happening in Yemen? I mean, how many times can we be told the same thing, that eventually this is going to work? Because that's what I'm not hearing. I'm not hearing Mike Pompeo pledging that none of those things are going to happen again. What I'm hearing is akin to this Monty Python skit from the Holy Grail, one of the best movies ever made, and I think quite appropriate in this situation. One day, lad, all this will be yours. What, the curtains? No, not the curtains, lad. All that you can see stretched out over the hills and valleys of this land. That'll be your kingdom, lad. But mother. Father, lad, father. But father, I don't want any of that. Listen, lad, I built this kingdom up from nothing. When I started here, all I was was swamp. Well, the king said I was daft to build a castle on the swamp. But I built it all the same, just to show them. It sank into the swamp. So, I built a second one. That sank into the swamp. So I built a third one. That burned down, fell over, then sank into the swamp. But the fourth one stayed up. And that's what you're going to get, lad. The strongest castle in these eyes. But I don't want any of that. And we don't want any of that either. How many times are we going to be told by the Mike Pompeos of the world that we need to go into the Middle East and build a castle that falls down and sinks into the sand? Then we build another one, and that sinks into the sand. Then we build a third one, and that burns down, and then falls over, and then sinks into the sand. Because that's where we're being sold. And Rand Paul, I don't see your flopping aiding in that in any way, shape, or form. So boo earns on Rand and, uh, and you know, I, I get, I get that he's playing the game and I respect him at least, you know, <laughs> I, I still don't think this is an issue he should have caved on. I, and I'm really angry about it. If you can't tell, I'm very, very angry about it. I get that he's playing the game though. I get that it would have been an embarrassment for Trump. Maybe I don't know about something else that's coming down the road. Maybe he's got something that he's going to push through that is, that is helping. Maybe he was Maybe he was integral in getting Trump to back off on the drug war and to say that he's not going to crush down on states that have a uh, that have allowed for marijuana, either decriminalizing it or legalizing it on a federal level. Maybe Rand had something to do with that, but I don't know that right now. 
So all I'm seeing is one of the worst foreign policies is going to continue unabated. And that Rand Paul had the opportunity to stand up against it, and he did nothing. Now, yes, does it raise the conversation into play? Yes. And even one of the other senators had, had admitted that, the GOP senators. They said, would we be having a conversation about this, about the actions of Mike Pompeo, about our actions and interactions in the Middle East without Rand Paul opposing this? Maybe not. I still think we would have. <laughs> Because it's somebody on the left, somebody in the Democratic side of things still has to be anti-war, right? At least pretend to be. But I don't know. Maybe maybe it's all for the for the long game. I mean, hell, at this rate, Trump's improvement levels are getting higher than Obama's were. Is you know we've gotten record low rates and unemployment in some fourteen new states. So things keep going the way they're going. Uh, maybe we'll have eight years of Trump. Maybe by playing the game, Rand Paul will become one of the most powerful voices in the Senate, able to push through some of the things that we really do care about, trying to rein in the war state. Hell, maybe Rand Paul will become Secretary of State. Wouldn't that be something? (laughs) But for right now, I'm going to stay pissed off about it. So (laughs) that's that. All right, on to the next part of the show. All right, so as promised, I am here once again with a guest that I greatly enjoyed having on the last time, talking about his on-the-ground reporting from these alt-right slash neo-Nazi slash kind of uh, white supremacist slash alt-right confab that took place in Charlottesville, Virginia. He is the founder and editor of News to Share. Uh, he's a fantastic journalist, and uh, I consider him a shining light as far as uh, libertarian and unbiased viewpoints, let's say, a combination of the two, if that's possible. But the one and only Ford Fisher. Ford, how you doing? Great, and I appreciate the uh, glowing review of my biography there. <laughs> <laughs> I do what I can, man. I do what I can. <laughs> So, so yeah, I wanted to bring you back on the show now because, and, and I promise, I only, I don't just bring you on to talk about Nazis because this is like becoming a theme here. Right. That's but, becoming a thing. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but you were on the ground, you know, this recent, I don't even know what you'd call it, a, a small gathering basically, but in Newman, uh, excuse me, I'm blanking out right now. Newman, Georgia, uh, this little gathering took place. I think they expected something like a hundred of these neo-Nazis to gather. And of course, this drew all sorts of counter-protesters, Antifa, and a shocking, in my opinion, police slash National Guard response. So you were on the ground witnessing it. You you traveled there to cover the event. So I wanted to, to touch on your firsthand experience there, what you saw. And, uh, and of course, I've linked to the video of all this from Ford's On the Ground Reporting. That is at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL69. But of course, you can also find that at news2share.com, also linked to the show notes. So yeah, give me your, give me your take, and then I'll, I'll pop in some questions about it that are a little bit more specific. Sure. So basically... Uh, for Adolf Hitler's birthday, a group of people called the National Socialist Movement, uh, and they're kind of a fringe sort of political freak show, if you will, Right. Uh, <laughs> basically had their annual conference. So that was April 20th. And then the following day, uh, they got a permit for it. So for uh, a clean $50, they were able to get a permit to do this rally in Noonan, Georgia. And so this is a community that um, – uh, leans conservative. It voted 69% for Donald Trump. Uh, however, that doesn't mean that they are 
<laughs> in any way accepting of literal Nazis showing up in the middle right. of the Right, despite the liberal narrative that's been pushed out and uh, so many things that if you support Trump, you're automatically racist. These people uh, seem to have some opposition to being tossed in with that lot. Right. So they were so the town was obviously not happy that they were coming. Um, in any event, they had filed for a permit for 50 to 100 total participants, and it looked like a, approximately like 35 or 40 maybe showed up. So it, it seemed a little bit shy of what they were expecting. But uh, in terms of counter demonstrators, uh, there was a huge turnout. So I think that this really um, this is something that has happened annually. These guys have an annual kind of conference and rally. And I think that it's because of the Charlottesville incident that people are taking this and saying, OK, well, now this has an actual uh, sort of effect on the national kind of narrative or ethos. Uh, somebody died uh, you know, in August. So it's a little bit different than in previous previous times when the National Socialist Movement showed up, uh, such as in Pikeville, uh, such as I think at the Atlanta State House a year ago. Um, and in those cases, were kind of considered mostly sort of irrelevant. And so um, the police seemed way over prepared, uh, if you will. So, I mean, I'll, I'll start with the good thing. The good thing is that nobody died, no extensive uh, injuries, no, no, no injuries that I'm aware of that led to anybody being uh, hospitalized. Right. And not even right? there were zero clashes in between the protesters and uh, the counter protesters. Right. right? Because the there was two, such a police presence there. Correct. The two sides basically didn't have any violence that happened from from one to the other. There was one guy who I filmed and had this sort of a, a, a scuffle, I guess, with um, some of the counter demonstrators, because apparently and I, I didn't see him do this exact moment. I kind of ran once I saw the crowd going crazy. And that's when I kind of ran into it. But apparently there was some kind of random guy that doesn't seem to have come with the neo-Nazis, but maybe wanted to participate with them or something. But he apparently threw like a sig hail, like kind mm. of just like on the street, just some dudes doing like a like a Nazi salute. It wasn't so. just it wasn't uh, a it wasn't a pug from Australia uh, that just happened to show up in a human no, costume. No, it wasn't was it? the it wasn't yeah, it, it was not wasn't not count, the pug. It wasn't Count Dankula's famous pug showing up in this rally. Right. Yes, and that guy got <laughs> fined like eight hundred fifty US. But I, oh, yeah, that's fair. a slight a bit of a diversion. In any event. Um, uh, let's just let me just say just on the record, though, that I do feel that instead of these neo-Nazis gathering in parks, if they did have a pug parade of zig hailing pugs, it would probably go over a lot better. It would be part adorable and part horrifying. Yeah, I could I could imagine. Yeah, they did this rally in a park. I could imagine if it was like a dog park and they were kind it's of a uh, it's a dog introducing. Like, it's a dog adoption, but all the dogs say Gail. <laughs> right. Yeah, oh, so, God, what would you do? Anyway, I don't, sorry, man, yeah. go on. <laughs> so uh, in any event, so in that particular moment, that was the closest that I ever saw counter demonstrators get to, I guess, theoretically, someone who's kind of an enemy of theirs. And they were kind of trying to fight with him, but the police pretty much repelled them. So I don't know that he even really got hurt. Well, but well, even, um, uh, let me just ask this, too. Did they even did the, did the neo-Nazi party even march or this kind of gather in this one space under police protection? And that was that was it. Right. So the the way that it was kind of structured was that there is a particular park, which is where they applied for the permit. And the police basically formed this sort of probably a perimeter of three to four blocks where all of the roads were blocked off. So there couldn't be any vehicles. And then around the park itself, they had sort of a, a barricade with a tall fence. So you couldn't even wow. really, like couldn't throw something. And then around that barricade, there was a, a basically a layer of riot cops 
Um, and then in front of those riot cops, there was another uh, barricade kind of without a fence. So, you know, so somebody could if somebody jumps the barricade that they're not allowed to go through. Right. Then they would have to they, they would be stopped by the cops before they could get to the fence that they would attempt to climb over. Yeah. Right. So it was so it truly would be uh, I, I would venture to say impossible for for uh, one of the left wingers or something to attack the Nazis, even though they were, they were kind you could, you could see them, but you couldn't hear what they were saying and they, and they were far away. Right. So yeah. the, uh, it's not like they were directly on the other side of the fence. They were kind of in the middle of this park. And then the, the fencing was kind of around the periphery of it. So the really <laughs> bizarre, the really, really bizarre thing though, was that in this designated kind of counter protest area where you could see, where you could see them from a distance, um, you had to go through a checkpoint in order to go into that area. And so they had this very exhausted list, very exhaustive list of items that you're not allowed to bring in. And those included tripods, which could theoretically be a bludgeon, uh-huh. headphones that you might be able to strangle somebody <laughs> with, not right, knives, you know, helmets. I was actually shocked because I would have worn I had a ballistic helmet, I had it packed, and then I actually unpacked it when I saw the list. Hmm. Uh, cause I wasn't going <laughs> to carry an extra piece of luggage if I didn't, if, if I wasn't going to be able to use it. Right. Yeah. Um, but shockingly, and this is what was so funny. They, they, everything under the sun you could think of was, was disallowed, uh, including replica firearms. But the one thing that was allowed is genuine firearms. Uh, yeah. I was going to ask you about that. I saw so many people walking around. It seemed like they were open carrying, which is still not, a, not legal in Georgia. I mean, I, you can get permit, but I saw so many people walking around in your video of just, you know, basically had AR-15s strapped to their backs. Now, granted, they didn't have the clips in, but I was surprised. I was going to ask you if the cops just let them walk around like that or if they. Yes, it's so I my understanding was and I'm not super familiar with Georgia law. I'm more more familiar with Virginia's kind of almost constitutional carry policy. But Mm -hmm. my understanding is that if you had a concealed carry permit, then you would be allowed to open carry in the in the town that day mm-hmm. there were like there was some kind of a legal remedy they were they were the the people who were carrying that day were not doing so in sort of an act of civil disobedience yeah. <laughs> certainly not um uh but so i guess that was kind of fascinating from a security standpoint because they were kind of, it seemed like they were afraid that anything could be used as sort of a makeshift weapon right mm-hmm. they didn't want people to have shields uh, uh and and flagpoles and things right your signs can't be on a pole it has to be just cardboard or whatever right but then uh somehow kind of amidst that they did still protect people's right to bear arms yeah. um so it seems like a strange contra- it's it, i guess it's kind of a liberty thing that they allowed the right to bear arms, but it seems like a strange contradiction. Well, in a way uh, it kind of plays into the, well, it plays it in a way into the kind of the, the concept that, that a lot of libertarians support, which is, you know, when you have more guns and you have visible guns, then there's less likelihood of, of an actual escalation of conflict because you're not going to attack somebody that's walking around with an AR 15. And so maybe the cops are like, well, you know what? Uh, this gives us the opportunity to say, okay, that person has a gun. It's out in the open. And on the other hand, like I'm saying, these neo-Nazis are less likely to escalate it as are the protesters. They both know the other side is armed, you know? Right. Yeah. And so, and of course, I mean, the, the real, uh, the real winner, if we're, if we're talking about number and uh, power of firearms was of course the police. Right. So was it just uh, police by the way, or was it national guard as well? So a lot of them had, um, 
very, very sort of militarized outfits. My understanding is that the, the National Guard was not deployed, but you probably wouldn't know the difference. Right? Yeah, like I mean, my God, the, the weaponry were, and the like the armament, the weaponry, the, the vehicles they were rolling in, they were all I mean, these were just military grade. Oh, yeah. So some of the stuff was it, it was clearly and this is why, like, like some people have asked me, why would you film? At a situation where you're where there's like a, a tiny contingency of Nazis that like, you know, as far as like electoral uh, power, right, like 35 people who write in Adolf Hitler or like, right, yeah. right, or something like on their on their ballot, like how many how much does it really matter? Uh not very much. But what really does matter is that something so fringe does have an enormous ability to basically completely militarize an entire town for a day. Right. Right. That that's something to be interested in is what kinds of civil liberty uh, concerns should we have uh, in a town where that has uh, where that's taking place. Right. If we're scared of conflict, um, uh, what are what are we sort of willing to do to secure the area? And so, yeah, police responded with. Uh, they had very, very kind of heavy uh, weaponry, right? I mean, the, I had posted one picture. I, there was a guy in kind of like a um, like a turret nest. I don't know if that's like kind of the correct word, right, but yeah, like top of a tank. Like, uh, and um, and like he and he was clearly not taking it very seriously, right? So I took, I was taking <laughs> photos of him, and when I pointed the camera at him, he was sticking his tongue out, right? <laughs> Presumably to ruin the picture, but it ended up becoming something that. Um, was sort of turned into a meme right on my wall. I had right. all these people making different uh, sort of <laughs> memes out of the photo. Uh, yeah. Caption out of the photo. So, um, but in any event, yeah, the, there there was a lot of uh, police wearing gas masks. They were, of course, preemptive kind of riot shields. Uh, there was one occasion that I, I didn't personally um, witness, but in which basically like police actually did like point the fire. Mo- mostly it was kind of at lead, you know, lower ready or just yeah. completely pointed down. But there, there was one instance where a cop uh, held his gun kind of on the crowd for for about a minute. Um, and so I, I to some extent, it's like I think that I think that the danger could be that people look at uh, a situation like this and kind of on paper, it's a success. Right. Mm-hmm. We clamped it down. We kept everybody safe. Nobody got hurt. Uh, and we arrested 10 rebel rousers. Right. And to kind of the common American, that might actually be a good outcome. And particularly in a city where uh, people support Trump. Right. Seventy uh, percent. The the view is a lot more kind of favorable to the police. Um, and so I think that that could really illuminate how these things will end up being dealt with in the future. Right. Should we be concerned that our towns are going to completely militarize right. uh, as soon as somebody shows up saying, hey, I'm planning on having a Nazi well, rally or, or not even or maybe not even show up in a way. And, and this is a question that somebody had posted on your page, I think, saying, you know, is this a false flag, which raises the question who benefits? Right. You know, it's not it's not necessarily Antifa. It's definitely not the people that are arranging the event. But, you know, the government would benefit or people on the well, I guess Antifa could benefit because it made me think of the swatting epidemic that goes on in gaming where people are just calling SWAT teams to people's addresses to essentially have a, you know, armed forces storm in and people have died because of this. Uh, and just because they don't like somebody or as a practical joke and that using that concept though, essentially swatting a town, you know, you could say if you're right. a, 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 a fringe liberal movement like Antifa saying, or fringe progressive movement, not to besmirch liberals too much, but um, like Antifa, where you say, this county voted 70% or 80% for Trump, or they, they put through, like, for example, there was recent uh, nullification or a concept of nullification in a local county, which said, we're going to be a 
full Second Amendment protection area. You know, we're going to nullify all federal laws. The Second Amendment is free here. So if, if you don't like right. that, you could essentially swat that that town by putting through a, a false uh, organization that wants to get this, like you said, a clean $50 permit to have a neo-Nazi rally there. And boom, you bring down the thunder of all these cops and possibly National Guard. Yeah, so – I it's I, I agree that that's certainly something that somebody could <laughs> basically could probably pull off, right? I mean, somebody oh, could oh, just easily. brand themselves a Nazi organization and then and easily. then say, "Hey, I'm planning on having well, a rally." And, and look how easy it is to get added to the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center's list of of hate <laughs> organizations. I mean, I think Tom Woods might be on there by now. You know, it's like very very easy to do it. And you write them one email and you're on there. So just you know, get a get a, a random Gmail address, you know, Nazi lover at uh, Gmail. And then go and get on the list and register your permit. You can, I mean, I, I feel like I, I, I'm tempted to do it just to show it can be done, you know? Right. So in this particular instance, though, I would point out that – so the, the National Socialist Movement, again, while a complete kind of fringe like political freak show, uh, they've basically existed since like the 1970s, and their current leader has uh, actually been their leader since since when I was born, right? I mean since – uh, 1994, as I'm looking it up. So he and so he's had some presence in the media. I mean, this is like his that's his thing, right, right. is that he's leading this group called the National Socialist Movement. Um, so and I, I don't encourage your listeners to actually do this. But I mean, no, if you no, went no, to their web, <laughs> if you went to their website, right, and I'm not even going to say the URL out loud, but no. if you if someone really wants to, they could find it. Um, if you go to their website, right, they promote basically like a, a 25 point plan that's like the same as as Hitler's kind of reappropriated into US politics. So I I, I basically is I pretty much doing re- desks by the way in your wherever you're at. Oh <laughs> yeah, some sorry, I will ask her to stop doing it's like uh, I keep hearing these You like, can hear you moving everything <laughs> It's, it's it's shockingly loud. My girlfriend loud. says she's sorry. Yes. She oh is. no worries. It's, yeah, I forgot. Bring it up. <laughs> yeah, you're. Can you edit out that segment? Do you want me to answer like the last question again? No, no, it's all right, man. I, I the, the people like to see the interaction between the guests. It's no big deal. It's, I think it's funny. Okay, no problem. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. All right, yeah, keep going. Suck. So, uh, so in this particular instance, uh, he has a really, really small group of people. I mean, I think that. I think that they have a slightly more relevance uh, than they did before just because Charlottesville ended up being a big deal and they did have a presence there. Um, But I mean, I think it's worth noting how quickly like these sort of neo-Nazi movements are kind of falling apart. I think that they in a way they probably peaked uh, at Charlottesville where uh, now they're, you know, the the defendants in a lawsuit over over their armed presence in Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, I mean, since then, I mean, there are basically only two organizations that propagate uh, Nazi views at this point in the U.S., that, at least that I'm aware of. One is the National Socialist Movement, which is these guys. The other was the Traditionalist Workers Party, which is uh, tries to use slightly more left-wing language to, to pull people in, but basically is also just straight National Socialism. Um, well, it seems and, like these groups have been dying off over a long. I mean, just over history in recent time, we see uh, they're they're dying off in general. Now, you know, they got a little bit of a resurgence because of the alt right uh, and I guess right. Trump's ascendancy. But just like you're saying, and, and just in truth, like in a way, not to compare these two when they are very far apart, but when Ron mm-hmm. Paul gained his popularity, a lot of people be jumped on the libertarian bandwagon. A lot of people jumped on the Trump bandwagon, and you know, so goes with those thoughts. They may not be people that really subscribe to the theory of libertarianism for Ron Paul or necessarily Trump slash white nationalism, but they get drawn into it. Then they quickly peter off as soon as the movement's over. They fall to the wayside. 
And but as we've seen just right. over the you know over the last few decades, culture has gone so far away from these organizations. Like the KKK is it's nothing you know it's and, and like we we're talking about earlier these groups would do these little rallies and they'd be widely ignored they'd happen for a day everybody would go okay whatever idiots go home and that would be it and now i feel that even though they're still petering out the the reaction to these organizations if anything is giving them far more of a platform than they deserve or they would otherwise have were they just ignored right and so so i think that the the Again, the reason to actually cover it, right? Because people say, well, why, why give it a platform at all? I, I think that the reason to cover it is that it ends up kind of influencing other things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, people use it as a, uh, uh, I don't want to use the word scapegoat, but they use it as a reason to end up militarizing an area right. or to drive policy based on what should we you know, do about this. I mean, even a, a, an interesting example was that uh, on the day of, of this kind of thing, this April 21st, um, before the rally even started, about a mile from the rallying point, uh, six Antifa members were arrested purely for wearing masks. And whatever you think of Antifa, um, wearing a mask isn't isn't sort of an acute act of violence, right? No. It's a it's a pretty specific law that they cited. Here's the irony: the law that they cited in order to make the arrest, and they probably actually un- under Georgia law, right? <laughs> Again, whether you agree with the law or not, under Georgia law, the arrest was probably valid. They, they have a law against basically wearing masks in, in public demonstrations that was meant to counter the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> right, the irony. Right? <laughs> so, it's, so it's interesting because you can – whether you like Antifa or not, you have a specific thing that might be regarded as a civil liberty, right? Mm-hmm. I have a right to cover up my face if oh, I'm not – it certainly makes a crime worse if I'm, if I'm participating in a crime while wearing a mask. But, if, but just wearing a mask in and of itself is not aggressing on anyone's rights. Right, and it could be a religious that, right as well, you know, considering right. the fact that people wear burqas, et cetera. Yeah. Sure. And so that right has been prevented based on an anti-Klan law. So you, if you apply it today, right, what rights might people have to give up because of the existence of national socialist movement or whatever, right? right? What might the state say and then say, don't worry, we're protecting you from Nazis. Yep. And that and so there wasn't law that was changed, I guess per se the other day, but they but they established a, like policies on the street about what things you can have or not, right? I did not have the right to have a water bottle in specific areas. I right. was I was parched. And I'm not going to say that this is the end of the world, right? This isn't like the, the greatest civil liberties disaster that Ford Fisher was thirsty for a while. But, uh, but we gave up uh, but we gave up something because right. these guys showed up. And so I think that that's why we kind of have to be concerned about um, you know, where, where does this take us? Is, is the country willing to move into full on national socialism to protect us from the national socialists? Well, yeah, uh, I agree completely. And this kind of segues into, uh, the, the other thing I wanted to, to tie into that was raised and you had raised this question yourself, but well, also, right. well, well, before I get to that, let me just say that the one thing that I will say that I was happy to see no violence and no private property damage. And that's where the police force, while I don't ne- I don't necessarily uh, support a large police presence there, that's the one aspect I could say, well, I'm glad if they're there to protect private property. I'm not glad if they're there necessarily to protect free speech. And this is where you would pose the question on your Facebook page when you shared this video, and I thought it was really interesting. And really, I, I think more than anything was why I said, oh, I got to get Ford on to talk about this. And here's the question you had posed. Does the absolute right to free speech imply a right to state protection against those citizens who would infringe on it? If so, why and how much? If not, why not? 
Now, do you want to take first crack at, at this? Do you have some thoughts? Do you want I, me to take a crack at it? I, I'm going to say for like on the onset uh, that basically this is a question that I actually struggle with myself because yeah. I because I can I can very convincingly you could give me either side of it and I could very convincingly argue it. But let me let me tell you the problem in my head <laughs> and then we'll, I'll see if you see it a different way. And I'm and I'm sure that your audience maybe could leave some comments and, and tell them what tell us what they think, because oh, yeah. there's a very colorful argument going on in my um, Facebook page about this. Um, so, so firstly, some people, uh, let me start with the Antifa view, which is not my view. And, and I think, and I think is incorrect, but, but there is a view among some people, uh, that, that certain free speech is violence. So you can't, you shouldn't protect it. And in fact, it's self-defense to attack it. Right. So that would be the extreme view that, uh, that might be held by a left winger or an Antifa who's willing to use violence and that kind of thing. So I, that's not my perspective, but it's a perspective worth pointing out if, mm-hmm. if we're talking about this. Right. The on one hand, um, there's probably there, there seems to be an issue where in a way it's like state uh, it's it's like a type of welfare. Somebody is putting fifty dollars into the system by getting a protest permit. And then they're getting the protection of approximately 750 police officers armed with heavy weaponry, equipment, all kinds of barriers, that sort of thing, right? The overall, the amount of money that was spent that day, I I don't know exactly, but I would venture to guess that it's at least five or six figures, right? There, oh, it's got to be easily. Right. Just so, think about the overtime they're paying all of those people to be there, let alone the cost of gasoline and everything else. Yeah. Right. So when you consider the return on investment, <laughs> right, right. The, the $50 that they paid for it, the, the protection is practically welfare, right? I, I'm not personally, when I go outside, I can't call the police. And when I'm just walking to uh, a subway to get a sandwich, I can't just uh, call up the police and say, I'd really like some protection, right? right. If, I, if I felt the need to have that, I would have to pay a private indi- individual to do that. And I don't think- Exactly right. Yeah, I don't think even the most ardent communist would claim that everybody has a right to a personal bodyguard. Um, so, so on one hand, you have, you have that, right? You have the, the, the fact that they are getting way more out of the taxation, right? People are being Uh, stolen from, right? Mm -hmm. People's tax dollars are going to protect somebody that they don't like. So I might feel uh, that my rights have been violated as a taxpayer who my money is, is, is being the, is paying for the personal protection of someone I don't like. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I, I saw some people commenting things like, well, they should have to reimburse the state for the cost associated with protecting them. And I can see why someone might say that because there's a revenue neutrality thing, right? That essentially their free speech hasn't cost the taxpayer extra that you don't have to subsidize those who you disagree with. But at the same time, that creates an interesting issue because somebody who has a more provocative, a more controversial thing to say uh, is is not violating anybody's rights, right? They, mm-hmm. And the state arguably shouldn't have to, uh, shouldn't charge somebody more to propagate a view because it is more controversial, right? If you have a pro Planned Parenthood rally, probably nobody's going to show up and and fight you at it, right? So it would cost essentially zero dollars to protect it, right? So if the person gets a permit and it's and it's and it's based on how much it costs to protect them, then the person with the uh, already commonly held view is, you know, basically they don't have to pay anything for their free speech. And mm-hmm. somebody who has a very controversial view, like the National Socialist Movement, like literal Nazis, have to pay more to use their free speech. Mm-hmm. And that also seems like a questionable 
yeah, uh, issue because then you could have then you could have the state. I mean, in the extreme, you could have the state start uh, appraising people's political views and saying, well, Democrat rallies will cost you 50 bucks. Yeah, right. Libertarian rallies <laughs> will cost you two, 250. Right. And and we're going to put it on a spectrum. And every step to the right is an extra uh, fifty dollars. Well, and and didn't, didn't some organizations <laughs> get rejected because the state like I think it was it might have been uh, one of these schools. Actually, it is a lot of state schools had canceled conservative rallies because they said specifically we can't provide enough security for this. Thus, we're going to use that as an excuse to cancel it. Right. And so that's the concept of the heckler's veto. And so the the ACLU actually fairly um, comp- competently argued before Unite the Right in Charlottesville that uh, this, the state had basically canceled their permit. They said Unite the Right shouldn't happen. And the ACLU uh, fought it and won on the basis that you can't argue that because people will fight it, we were unable to adequately protect it. Therefore, it shouldn't happen because then you're giving veto power to the person who is saying, I'm going to use violence. Correct. Right. So should it be, should it actually cost you more to speak because someone else may feel inclined to hurt you for it? Right. That also seems contrary to free speech. So it, it's it's really difficult because either you're either you're charging people more for controversial views or you're forcing somebody to pay for controversial views that they don't have. Yeah, great. Well, here's my take on it. And it, it ties in a lot with what you're saying. And but here's the I guess I had a slightly different aspect of a take on it. And this is all incredibly problematic, like we're talking about, because for, I'm a huge, obviously huge advocate of, of free speech in general, unhindered, unabashed free speech. But when you when it's the question is. Does does the right to free speech imply a right to state protection? I don't know if I can say that it that free speech has a right to state protection now, because from my standpoint, you have the right to free speech. That is that is something that you 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 know it's one of the guaranteed rights from our country. But it doesn't doesn't necessarily imply to me directly that the state has a right to protect you via force from anybody trying to infringe upon that necessarily. Like, I feel that it's something where the state's obligation more than anything is to not interfere. Like you're, that right is given to protect us. Like that's specifically laid out to protect us from the state's interference, not to protect us from other citizens interference necessarily. So we can't right. say that we demand the state to come in and, and protect that, that right. Wherein, I would just be more happy if they didn't interfere because you there's a natural risk that you take on voicing any opinion. Free speech inherently carries risk, and everyone weighs that risk when they say, okay, they choose when and where to voice their point of view. And you know, you can't just say that I you expect march, you know, armed guards to march in to protect you, and like you're saying, at the at exceptional cost to the taxpayer. The way I could see this playing in, and I mentioned this earlier as well, is on a civic level. I could see local police and maybe a state protecting private property rights if it's going to be an issue wherein they expect violence or action against private property. But even then, I wouldn't say that's a free speech issue. That is simply a private property issue. And, right. and the danger well, your there body is, is private property, right? I mean, if you're you're saying I protect private property rights, I mean the clothes on your body <laughs> and and your 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 chin and not being punched from somebody probably well, is, agrees. Is, I agree with you there, but. It's like I don't know. It's it, it's this is well, like I said. This is where it becomes so difficult for me because we're talking about the difficulty of getting the state involved on this on this level involved with free speech and all these different instances. And I just don't see. I I just can't support like we're talking about with this instance massive police presence if you want to voice your opinion and and being able to have that on demand and by extension what we're talking about earlier as well the government being used as a 
tool to suffocate free speech by an extension by having police presence, by doing this kind of swatting exercise that we're talking about. Uh, or using as an excuse, as with these these collegiate levels, where they're saying we can't provide the security, thus you can't have your event, you can't have the free speech. You can still voice your opinion, but you have it the onus on you to realize that you take a risk and you need to be able to protect yourself. You know, in in the in the event that violence does occur, yes, I would be I would hope the police would be there to uh, to assist in that. But it's like anything else; the cops don't usually come to to prevent crimes they're usually there to assess the crime to punish the crime but rarely are they there to actually prevent many crimes uh and right. you know assault is a crime voicing your free speech no matter what you might say is not a crime necessarily it is simply a right right <laughs> and so uh i suppose this is the i i think that you did you did touch on something important and there's an important distinction with the college situation um both because actually it's pu- it's public property, right? The college Correct, is theoretically yeah. public. Um, but the difference that you have on colleges, when a college denies the permit, it's not. It, it's one thing to say that the college won't provide the protection, and then it's another for them to deny the permit altogether and say you can't come because it's dangerous. Right. I, I know that this has come up with um, Richard Spencer on some occasions, and he's mostly given up on doing college tours. Uh, in large part because of Antifa, because it's too dangerous for him. Yeah, and that's ex- and by the way, that's exactly what Antifa wants to do. That's exactly their goal. Let's shut right. up. Yeah, the, that is that is the heckless. You know, the white nas- white nationalists. But so so they won. But in any event, you can still kind of explore the subject of. Uh, I think it was you know there. So he, this has come up at University of Florida or U Miami maybe and uh, a Michigan school as well. But but generally speaking, I know that an issue that he's had is. Some schools, have, some state schools have tried to prevent him from speaking on the basis that it will cause too much danger. And he has generally won in court on that. Right. He generally is able to speak at public schools if somebody wants to invite him mm-hmm. and if the and if the left wing uh, club is able to invite their equivalent person or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um However, my understanding is that he has generally paid for at least his own personal protection. And then whether the whether the school is ready to prepare the rest of the school, right? I mean, you have issues like at Berkeley where, where the students will just burn the entire school. Right. The That's also the private property Milo damage. Yeah. Op- <laughs> you know, because yeah. Milo is in like one uh, one particular building. <laughs> You're right. Right. So uh, and I, that even happened to like Charles Murray had to like flee at one oh, yeah. point. Yeah, no, it was, uh, he and along with another uh, female, I think, staffer who actually got assaulted. But right. So, but also, so you pro- know, you have people that are you know like looking at Richard Spencer as an example or uh, or Ben Shapiro, perhaps. We saw that as Antifa's presence did rise, that they also was there was an according rise from the alt right where they said, OK, if you're going to come with this this aggressive tactics to us. If you're going to come and be violent and the police are not going to protect us, we will arrive expecting violence and be prepared for that violence. So in a way it's tying into what I was saying before, where they're, they're willing to fight for their free speech and not expecting the state to to step in and have their back all the time. Right. And so I will point out that that exact dissolution, I guess, of, of civil discourse is, is a problem that I, in my view, when I've watched these things go down, I, it does not seem like the right principally supports, and I and I when I'm saying this, I mean the far right. I mean like the the actual Nazis, yeah. right? Do not seem to be doing like sort of fighting uh, for freedom or for the Constitution or something like that. No, so no, I, agree. I I remember that when so I actually filmed 
Matt Heimbach from behind a police line, right? The police were escorting him through Washington, D.C. And this is the leader of Traditionalist Workers Party, the, you know, the basically the other Nazi group. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, like, what did you think of the police response here? Like, as opposed to Charlottesville, where it was very different. And he, and he said that in that particular case, that particular day, when he, he they had basically, there was a huge Antifa presence and he was basically safe from them. He's a literal neo-Nazi and he was basically safe from Antifa, who would who would have loved to beat his face in. Yep. And he said that he was happy because his constitutional rights were supported and da, 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 all that stuff. And I asked, do you actually do you support that constitution? And he said the, he kind of he looked kind of weird. He was like the American Constitution. And I said, <laughs> yeah. And he said his exact words were we use it when it's convenient. Yeah. Right. So when, when we're well, talking about this, right wing authoritarians, anybody. these yeah. are not guys who are interested in preserving our Tenth Amendment rights. These yeah. are not guys who are interested in protecting the Second Amendment, right? The, if you read up on the platform of the the National Socialist Movement, right, their their thing says that uh, we we support the right of citizens to be able to carry firearms. But if you look earlier in their platform, they have a long list of t- the types of people that they don't that they consider valid citizens. citizens. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. so they don't want. They don't want gay people to be armed. They don't want non-white people to be armed, right? And I mean, the list would go on, I'm sure. But um, the point is, they are not interested in the sort of blanket uh, rights that the Constitution offers. Um, so when I when I see sort of these right wingers and left wingers fight in the street, and then the right wingers tend to, you know, the, the left wingers tend not to care about free speech, or they say that we care about free speech as long as it's not yeah, as long as it's the right hate, the right free as speech, long as it's yeah, the right free speech, right? Yeah. But on, on the right wing, it's it's a little bit more complicated and maybe a little bit more toxic, even because the right wing will jump at the word free speech in the context of themselves speaking, but the actual policies that they're hoping for are are not in favor of free speech, right? The whole Nazi thing is that like. They're talking about all these different things that they think are degeneracy and that they think that people should be mm-hmm. killed or deported or, you know, all that kind of stuff for. So these are not people who would protect that liberty if they actually had right. their way. And I, and I use that yeah. exact uh, – well, not that a precise example, but a, and a very similar example all the time when I'm arguing with with uh, liberals who are all for hate – or all for, you know, hate speech legislation and, and all these kind of uh, laws that restrict what you can and can't say or can and can't do. And I, I make that point to them. I say, well, you know – Look at these groups. Just to your your exact point, if a, if the alt right takes control, what are they going to label hate speech? Because once you introduce the concept that you have restrictions on what you can and can't say, just because you're on one side of the aisle, well, if that flips, now you're the one getting screwed over by these laws that limit what you can say, and, they, and people don't seem to realize that so often when they're advocating their specific position. Uh, it just happens time and time again. Right. And so, <laughs> of course, in the end, the, the the entity with the greatest ability to restrict your free speech rights is is the state, right. regardless of who's <laughs> actually in control of it. So uh, so with anarchists of the left or the right or whatever, I mean, it might be a more complicated subject, again, as we're talking about things like prote- who's actually protecting that right, if yeah. anybody. Yeah. Um, but when you're talking about national socialists, like they have a re- they have a very specific idea of, of exactly who should be doing that. And they, they would use the government to shut up or kill the people they don't like. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Well, you know, what? this is I'd say this is why I wanted to get into this, because it is a, a very interesting topic to discuss. And we've and uh, you know, between between the two of us, we've introduced three different viewpoints on it. And I do welcome uh, I hope everybody takes part in the conversation. Go to Lions of Liberty Forum. Just type it on Facebook. Take part in that. And uh, and let us know what you're thinking about it because it's yeah it, it's a it's a great one it's a great libertarian mind bender 
And uh, I'd be excited to hear people's thoughts on it. But let me take a quick break, go to a commercial, and then I want to come back and just talk a little bit more with Ford about some of the sex workers that he's spoken with for an article that he wrote talking about the uh, sex trafficking bill, FOSTA, that was passed recently, the impact on free speech. And I know I've, I've I've mentioned this a few shows in a row now, but I just I feel like we can't talk about it enough. And I want to hear his firsthand stories from talking with these women that are affected by it. So we'll be right back, guys, with more Ford Fisher from News to Share and more Electric Liberty Land in just a minute. My name is Dale Kearns, and I'm running for United States Senate in Pennsylvania as a libertarian. I'm a concerned citizen who has had enough. I work as a project manager for an electrical contractor in southeastern Pennsylvania. There I manage large commercial and industrial projects. I'm a husband and a father of two energetic little girls. I'm running to advocate for a society where my girls have more liberty, not less. Will you support our campaign? Unlike my competitors, I'm not a career politician. I don't have millionaire and billionaire donors. I'm running for Senate in Pennsylvania because I want to take the message to Washington that we want government out of our lives. Will you let me be your voice? Let me be the voice that says we will not walk quietly down the road to serfdom. The voice that says we need free market solutions. The voice that says we need to end the failed war on drugs. The voice who will fight for the forgotten man, non-violent offenders wasting away in prison, and addicts who are afraid to speak up and seek the help they need. We are seeking members for our campaign team. I encourage you to apply. We need donations to help us spread the message of liberty across the state. We can go on hoping for liberty to happen, or we can fight together. I hope you choose the latter and join me today. Find out more at DaleKearns.com. Paid for by Dale Kearns for Office. All right, we are back with more Electric Liberty Land. I am here with Ford Fisher from News to Share. Ford is a fantastic journalist who travels around doing a lot of uh, not only in-person interviews for written content, but also a ton of video content. Uh, you heard in the first half of the show, we were talking about his work on the ground in Newman, Georgia. But I wanted to talk with him about this article that he did. And again, I've linked to this in the show notes, lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL69 talking to women that are working within the uh, we're basically sex workers and how the FOSTA bill, which has cracked down on what you can do with advertising, what you can talk about online. And it's gone even farther in restricting general free speech while doing arguably nothing to combat actual sex trafficking. So Ford, tell me a little bit about where you're, you know, what these women mm-hmm. had to say and what your thoughts are about this bill and, and all the terrible, terrible things that are resulting from it. <laughs> Sure. So I, I, first I want to just kind of summarize what the bill actually is, because it is really um, – it's sort of unprecedented for a few reasons. But so basically the uh, the FOSTA bill is this bill that uh, did pass, and the only two who voted against it are uh, Senator Rand Paul and then uh, the – who's obviously a Republican and then Democrat uh, Oregon Senator Ron Wyden, who kind of has emerged as a little bit of a sometime civil libertarian, interestingly enough. But um, – in any event, basically the the bill would be would create an exemption to Section 230, which is a federal provision that says that web publishers and platforms don't have liability for what their users post. So it's a general legal principle uh, in the United States law that people probably are kind of I feel like are generally aware of, even if they're not aware of the specific law. Right, which but, is, but and it was put in place by Obama's administration as well, I believe. Right. So, and and I think it basically makes sense. I think this is basically a good policy. The, the section two thirty, not the not the correct. Spell, right. Yeah. That the this policy basically says, uh, on the internet, right? People have different companies own different platforms, and other people are able to comment on those platforms, post, have accounts, all these different types of things, and so the 
the company of origin, the hosting kind of company, right, Facebook or Twitter or whoever, or YouTube, is not responsible for uh, actions that are taken on their website, uh, even if they are, are criminal, right? So if somebody uh, uses uh, uh, the YouTube comment section to uh, uh, have a, a illegal gun transaction, mm-hmm. let's say, right? Somebody somebody posts a video of themselves with a with a firearm and they're like, I'd like to sell this to a random person and I'll send it at the post office to you right. without <laughs> doing a background check. And somebody comments, hi, I'm a felon, so I don't have any other way to do this. I'll give you $500 by PayPal right now, right? Or whatever, right? If somehow an online, uh, an illegal activity occurs on the internet, that YouTube is not responsible for for the fact that that happened. And that's a pretty, that's I think that that's a pretty good legal principle that most people would right. agree and on. The transaction doesn't even, have, and, well, you're going to get into this, but and for, for the, uh, what this bill gets into Ooh. is the transaction doesn't even have to occur on the virtual internet for it to be penalized in this new bill. So, anyway. right. So, <laughs> so basically this, this new bill creates an exemption for the subject of, uh, of sex work. And the impetus behind this is that, uh, uh, people who are sex trafficked, people who are involuntarily, uh, uh participating in prostitution, right? Literally like sex slaves, essentially, uh, that, that, that kind of thing is traded online and that websites that may be hosting the content that includes that may be inadequately uh, uh, fighting against it. And now I, I think that it would be – it's incredibly important that websites should be checking on those things. I think Mark Zuckerberg should probably uh, – given the amount of resources he has, he should probably be putting staff into the issue of making sure that sex slaves aren't sold on Facebook. I think that that's an admirable goal. <laughs> right. um, but at the same time, this this bill basically would make it so that – if it happens now, if it slips through, right, if somebody uh, uh, specifically not not guns or drugs or other illegal content, right, but if somebody sells any kind of sex work online, uh, that Mark Zuckerberg or that, you know, uh, you know, the YouTube corporation or whoever could be found criminally and civilly liable for it. Right. And um, Backpage's founders, uh, as well as some of their shareholders and staff have already been indicted for that exact thing. Right. And so here's the problem, though. The the issue is that this is not specific to involuntary sex trade. That was basically how it was marketed to people, right. and that was kind of how it was politically sold. So that you know, you so that if you're the senator who votes against this, then now you're pro uh, sex trafficking, yeah. right? But this, but this bill allows the prosecution of companies because their their people were may may be completely voluntarily selling uh, sexual services for money, and so. The problem here, of course, is that uh, it, that may be completely impossible to regulate, right? If somebody is finding a prostitute on Craigslist, right, or something like that, they they meet up with somebody in a hotel and pay them two hundred dollars for some sort of sexual activity in a state where that's illegal, which I get, which I guess is forty nine states in this country. Right. Um, the under under this bill. Craigslist could be found criminally liable because a voluntary sex act that had a transaction of money, even if the money was not sent through the website, uh, occurred. And so a lot of websites that uh, deal with this issue, with with any kind of issue of sexuality, are really scared about this and they're clamping down. And so this is affecting, right, people way broader than exactly what it's targeted at, right? It's – so far, there's almost no understanding of any actual sex slaves who have been freed because of this. No. Right? This doesn't seem to have stifled that. It well, seems and also, to. Also, none of these ads explicitly say 
come and come and have sex with me for money. There's all they're always couched in the phrases it's an, a massage or it's an escort service and all these other things which are technically legal. And then these people go and then their own homes or hotels or whatever they are, they they then exchange money. Which I don't know how the government can prove that without doing a sting operation on every one of these. To say well, that, that would be exactly the thing, a, yeah. a sting, right? Yeah. So a cop could un, under this bill, right? A cop and now. So I, I want to point out Craigslist got rid of their entire personal section, yep. right? They, it was already against Craigslist's policy to sell sex for money on the website, but but apparently, I guess that's something that they were concerned could happen, or or maybe does, ha- or I'm sure does happen, um, in spite of it being against their policy. But they have basically just like. I, I suppose like a hookup section, I guess, or some kind of personal section yeah. for for dating or for hookups or like whatever. Well, it's like the back. Right? It's like the back of the newspaper, the local LA Weekly, uh, for example. Where I was, <laughs> it has a ton of sex ads in it. You know, they're not right. they're they're not sex ads, quote unquote, but they're sex ads. It's the exact same thing, just online. Right. So Craigslist has actually shut down the entire personal section. Uh, on the basis that theoretically somebody could sell sex on it and they could be held, held criminally liable. And I guess the example that we could use here is you, you mentioned like a sting operation, right? Under under the bill right now, if Craigslist still had its personal section, a cop, uh, let's uh, let's say a lady cop, a female cop, could mm-hmm. post a ad that says, uh, you know, come, uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know, like, like, come, come to my, come to my house. And it's actually like the police station or something. Right. Yeah. For <laughs> a, sen- like, a sensual to- massage will blow your mind. For, yeah. Yeah. For my, for, for a super special massage. That's, right. I don't know. What's the, what's the going price on those things. These days? I'm just no, going to I wouldn't know, but it's probably between 200 and $400. <laughs> oh, I went way low. I was like a hundred. Uh, all right. Let's well, say, yeah, know, three, it probably depends on the prostitute. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, if it's a cop, I don't know. <laughs> it's a cop, uh, $20. They just 20 need the cuff. Yeah. So, but then they get that person into the uh, into this into this situation, and the person uh, does exchange money with them, and then receives a, a sexual favor as opposed to a, a a licensed massage or whatever, right? The cop could arrest that person, and that would be true anyway, right? Before this, but but now under the law, the the police could also go and hold Craigslist criminally responsible for the fact that the cop was able to pull that off, right? And so that has a chilling effect generally on the idea of free speech and kind of an open internet where websites can be held liable for people who people who have websites can be held liable for the actions of somebody else kind of on their website. Well, I haven't done that, but the extension of this, and, and maybe you're going to talk about this, sorry for jumping <laughs> in, but you know, it's also extending to, you got to worry about things like, uh, like for, let's use Xbox or PlayStation, for example, they have chat programs. Sorry. What if somebody's on this chat program that is run by a company and arranges a hookup offline and it turns out to be uh for sex or what if it's uh, what if it's via email i mean gmail everybody uses gmail by extension that is their website that is their property people are using it on their servers and on their system if somebody arranges a a meetup for sex through the email programs do we now have to worry about that or are they now big brother email watching for that exact specific content so it's like you're saying these the ramifications and, and what can happen from this bill are pretty far reaching and a little bit terrifying Right. So uh, I wanted to point out like a specific example is so I've I've interviewed actually twice now because I've interviewed her on a different subject. I, I talk a lot about technology, transhumanism, that sort of thing. This uh, there's an individual who I've interviewed before uh, who does basically sex work. And she was actually uh, involved in a kind of a legal issue over the fact that her likeness was used in a VR um uh, a virtual reality sort of sex simulation, although she hadn't signed a release form for it. Hmm. So people, she found out that people at South by Southwest were sort of 
uh, <laughs> digitally having the experience of making love to her. Oh, wow. Uh, which is a very interesting, a very interesting, interesting situation. Yeah, interesting copyright. But it, uh, yeah, so that that poses other issues. But that same sex worker actually commented for my article here, mm-hmm. and she described that um, this has this has implications on people who aren't even illegal sex workers, right? So she participates in a, in a type of sex work, which is uh, indie uh, porn production, right, including that particular simulated. Uh, porn type thing, but but generally speaking, uh, the production of of pornography, right? And so that kind of thing, which apparently Twitter is fairly lenient on, she has ba- she basically adver- she uses Twitter to advertise her porn or her webcaming, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, that maybe Twitter, right, and other websites are going to be clamping down more on those types of people because they're scared. What if that bleeds into the territory of something right. that the state could prosecute and therefore prosecute Twitter? Well, so, like the my free cams uh, sites and those kind of places too, where women make full living. I mean, thousands and thousands right. of women are making living. And so it's not, it, and it isn't illegal for someone to sell the image of their body. Right. In fact, it's not illegal for someone basically to engage in prostitution as long as they're filming right. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Give them a hundred dollars uh, and you take so. it. Right. Right. But, um, but in any event, right, somebody who's at, even somebody who's participating in a legal form of sex work can also end up losing their kind of source of marketing and revenue. And what she said to me was, it will absolutely not stop trafficking. It may result in less reports of trafficking, and that helps nobody, mm-hmm. right? So in her view, this is just going to uh, this is going to limit safe access to the ability to sell these things. If people are, if they actually have, if the desired effect is had, which is that prostitutes and and any other kind of sex worker lose their ability to sell that content online, Mm -hmm. uh, then now they're in a situation where they're going to have to find things that aren't online, right? Imagine the difference between uh, walking up to a car and hitching a ride for money and being able to order an Uber, right? Right. Uh, uh, Much as somebody may find it distasteful for somebody to be selling their, their body on the internet, at the very least, right? She talked to me about the fact that there are uh, there are websites where people where where basically sex workers can talk to each other about the different clients or jobs or whatever you'd call them, and say, you know, don't don't go with that guy. He's he's a real creep. Or don't go with that guy. He 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 did something that that he wasn't consented to do. That sort mm-hmm. of thing, right? Those sorts of sites are shut down. It has a much more isolating effect. And I even had one sex worker say that now pimps are starting to <laughs> to try to reach out to these people. Oh, can't be independent anymore. Yeah, of course. This is a driven, completely driven underground to the black market once again. Uh, and yeah, and, and the thing that always bugs me too is, you know, like she's saying, she's exactly right that it's not going to help sex trafficking. In fact, I would argue that it will definitely make it worse because it's not like before people that could, wanted to seek out specific, let's say, underage girls, which is one of the things they pushed mm-hmm. in this bill. Those people are going to find those those portals. If that's your specific thing, you're going to find it one way or the other. And in fact, by having it online where people can report it, you're in fact shining far more light on it and making it far more easily uh I guess easy to burn out that that specific cancer in the world than if you just let it survive in the darkness unheeded as it's been doing for years. Right. And so I want to point out that I did ask them all, uh, what do you what do you think would make sex workers more safe? Right. Mm -hmm. Because I I, I will say that as much as there may be uh, obvious negative implications to this bill, as much as this bill probably will make the issue worse and not better, um, uh, 
of course, it is an admirable position to try to uh, favor the safe the safety of sex workers in general mm-hmm. and the liberation of, of of involuntary sex workers of of people who are basically being uh, raped at somebody else's profit. Um, when I asked uh, the consensus of all three sex workers who I talked to for this story was that uh, decriminalization, legalization. Uh, is how you make sex workers more safe, and so the the reasons that they described is that um, if you if you're giving sex workers amnesty, then they're able to talk to law enforcement about trafficking and sexual violence, uh, and that goes some way to protecting vulnerable people. Um, and then they also talked about uh, how, of course, the basically the more legitimized you have you have this kind of thing, the the more you allow for for basically the technology to flourish to make it as safe as it can be. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine the precise Uber model where, you know, it, when I get into an Uber, I'm, I feel very safe because I know that 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 person uh, is ID'd. Right. There's mm-hmm. a GPS thing saying where myself and the driver is right. If that driver uh, robbed me or assaulted me in some way. Right. Or if or if it was a female passenger and they were sexually assaulted or something. That person is ID. There's no way that the Uber driver could right. sort of get away with it, right? So, in the case of of the technologies now, uh, it would be illegal to make an app that you, you know you couldn't just say, "I'm just trying to take the violence out of this industry by making an Uber for sex workers," mm-hmm. right? That's what happened with essentially Silk Road for drugs. Yeah. Um, now that could be that that would be totally shut down, right? You'd be you'd be basically on the hook as an app developer for all of the sex work that happens. Uh, legally speaking, but if you legalized um, sex work, then you could have things like age verification. You could know exactly which person uh, you're dealing with. You'd have ratings for the sex worker, which I assume the customer would probably want. <laughs> You'd appreciate that, yeah. Well, and I also <laughs> but, think about extensions like have ratings okay. for the Johns, right? The, right? the customers, right? If the sex worker had an uncomfortable situation, the ability to digitally warn another sex worker about that without having to talk to them in person about it or contact them individually, right? I think that that would that would probably make the lives of, and I, it's not just me saying this. This is what they they were telling me that would make their lives um, much safer, right? Much safer, much more comfortable and, and emphasize the culture of consent that we probably want in this country. Yeah, most definitely. And, and you think about the extension to, you know, like in Nevada where places they have, it's all legalized. You could have corporate entities where they provide security. They provide, uh, they provide a, a place to work. I mean, it'd be like a, it would be like a sexy office building. You know, it's like by, by increasing the amount of technological uh, background you have and also the amount of just out in the open security that it would provide, you'd be leaps and bounds securing that these people would, there'd be no more illegal sex trafficking because it'd be so wide open there that why would anybody use illegal services? And then on a secondary note, you're just ensuring the safety of these women. So yeah, by all means, it should be legalized. The only question I have, and I brought this up the last show, I was talking about this a little bit, is even though they don't want to come out in the open and obviously blackmail is a crime, I wonder why uh, you know, anonymously, some of these sex workers don't come together who have slept with these politicians and basically threaten them, threaten to go to the media and expose them uh, under anonymity of sources for the media. I I would venture to guess that uh, most politicians who have engaged in uh, in some kind of well, sex trafficking, but in, in but uh, in any case, uh, 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 patronizing the the use of sex workers would probably have it covered up enough that 
they would be able to say, no, nah, that didn't happen. And it would be hard to prove that, but it, the that threat, it did. But that's the thing. It would be the threat alone of it. Uh, I think <laughs> that would it would at least bring the conversation up to a point where we could have a discussion as a country about it and how these people are just being completely marginalized where, you know, I don't think people understand how many sex workers there are in this country, number one, and who they are, number two. You know, if people, if it was out in the open, people would at least realize that it's people's brothers, it's their mothers, it's their sisters out there doing it. And it's a very viable way to make a living, whether or not you morally support what it is. It's someone's choice to do and they should be able to do it. And, you know, I'm sure it pays very well. You know, Right. I wanted to point out because you mentioned the issue of like brothels and things like that. So in Nevada, there are uh, there are some, there are certain areas of Nevada where prostitution is legal, and there's kind of most most famously there's a um, business right. called the Moonlight Bunny Ranch, right, which has yeah. been in the yeah. media quite a bit. And I saw a story on Reason Magazine. This was a while ago. Um, that when it came to the idea of they they basically put out statements saying that they are that the the Moonlight Bunny Ranch is ardently against sex workers working in a non licensed brothel mm. right hmm. so it's interesting because when people have when when you ha- when you end up with a corporatized and and individually licensed legalization of something those people tend to still want the state to smash right, their yeah they want regulation well that's yeah so they, we're, they we're won't on want premise. to regulate out of, out <laughs> yeah. of existence anybody else who can do it so. agree well I'm, I'm operating under its completely legalized uh, formula not not like that kind of thing where it's uh, very tightly regulated in very specific areas kind of thing which i'm against in general right so of course you have to have the most uh right so in nevada yeah you could still have a prostitute charged for <laughs> prostituting without a without a proper without pimp, a pimp. yeah basically <laughs> right and that's that's a very pro uh pimp policy i guess right. yeah i think like, that yeah, the it's like a dog the, on the leash it's terrible the the opinion of 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 course the people that i interviewed seems to be that the the most um the most decriminalization the most liberalization of what they're able to do allows them to to uh, uh, self-regulate in a way that's empowering, right? Uber is not this kind of like crazy anarchist, like, uh, <laughs> and yeah. I'm using the word anarchist here in a way that may offend people, but like, <laughs> is not some kind of like a chaotic system, right? They, they've created a free market solution, uh, that solves the issues that the state would probably seek to deal with, with, you know, taxi cab licensing. Yeah. So again, it, with full legalization, you probably have more creative solutions to the issues, uh, regarding sex oh, work. Without a doubt. So, all right. Well, you know what, man? I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this episode there. I think uh, the people have gotten a good education on on sex and also uh, Nazis and the questions about free speech in the state. So, I, as I mentioned, guys, I really hope that you want to take part in the conversation we're having about this. I know uh, Ford's interested in hearing what you have to say, and I want to thank you sincerely, Ford, for joining me once again. Uh, tell the people everywhere they can find you, all the platforms they can find you and your content on. Sure. So my website is called news2share.com. It's news, the number two share, all one word.com. And then my name is Ford Fisher, F-O-R-D, like the car, Fisher, F-I-S-C-H-E-R. And you can find me on Facebook uh, under my name. And then on, on Twitter, it's that same name with no spaces. I also have a Patreon. So in the spirit of like we were talking about non-corporatized, yeah, decentralized, uh, right? So uh, we didn't get to go into this you know, very much, but, but YouTube, Google has kind of started – uh, gobbling away at the independent media and is trying to kind of push people toward their uh, sort of either center left narrative when it comes to new stuff or just uh, content that's entirely unrelated to news. But YouTube has become unviable for funding indie media. So I do have a Patreon page. Uh, it's patreon.com slash 
Ford Fisher, F-O-R-D-F-I-S-C-H-E-R, and, and the page itself, I guess, um, Patreon is called News to Share. Um, so if you join as a patron on there, um, we have different kind of levels that uh, include, you'll have access to my uh, film about transhumanism that I'm producing, including kind of a rough draft of it that's already up there. Uh, we plan to start doing kind of monthly uh, meetings where you can talk to me via Google Hangout uh, about once a month, basically about anything. Uh, also credits um, in the uh, projects that we're doing. So uh, we very much appreciate people's support because being able to travel to Noonan and things like that uh, is funded by the people. We don't really have corporate sponsors. We don't have state sponsors. Uh, we try to be funded in a, in a rather decentralized way. And I think the Patreon platform is really a good way to do that. Awesome. So there you go, guys. And of course, Alliance of Liberty, we have our own uh, program. You heard about the start of the show with our content. Just like, just like Ford, we stay independent. So Ford, thank you so much for coming on. I want to thank all of our listeners out there for tuning in. Again, to follow us, make sure you listen to Mark Clare on Mondays with his in-depth interviews on Liberty with the leaders of the movements. Make sure you listen to me Wednesdays. And, of course, John Odie, Odermatt Fridays with Felony Fridays, the in-depth look at the issues with the criminal justice system. Otherwise, guys, from me, Brian McWilliams, from uh, Ford at News to Share, from the Lions of Liberty, and from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged in to Liberty. <laughs>